spawning. Nine, eight, seven, this is roll 29, six, five, four, 29. Three, two, one. Don't operate under these conditions, boy. You know, we're coming out. It's like, it's like that we're like, we're striking. That's what it is, it's like a strike. And that's what we're going through now, really, is that we've got to readjust to each other. You know, I've got so many songs. discontent with the Beatles. Hello, and welcome to Winter of Discontent, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the recordings of the Beatles sessions for the Get Back Project. My name is Nick... Join me now as we embark on this epic journey together. Episode 9, Peter Sellers and the Magic Christian. Welcome back to Season 2. Thank you so much for all the positive feedback so far. For anyone who's wondering, my back is better. Some portions of Episode 8 might sound a little strange, but that's because I had to record them lying down. Hopefully they don't stand out too much. My recommendation for this show? It's a film. It's from 1960 and it's called Never Let Go. It stars Peter Sellers, who is the subject of our show today. For anyone who only knows Sellers as Inspector Cluzo, or for some of his uncomfortable looking brownface roles, this will be a revelation. The film is dated, 1960 might as well be 1930, if the style of filming and dress of many of the cast are anything to go by. But Sellers' performance, for once playing the villain, is genuinely breathtaking. If you're in any doubt about his talent as an actor, please do check this out. He is never less than impressive. We've discussed the production of The Magic Christian in previous episodes. As the Beatles gather on Soundstage 3 to begin rehearsals for their live shows, they are aware that they can only use this space until the 24th of January. Stages 1 and 2 are already being filled with sets and equipment in preparation. When the Beatles eventually leave, Soundstage 3 will be occupied by sets of the eponymously titled ship The Magic Christian, which will fill the movie's third act. In fact, In the finale of that sequence, some of the cast break out through the scenery into a long shot that is very clearly the same soundstage that we see in the first half of the Let It Be film. To an extent, The Magic Christian is intertwined with the Get Back project. Dennis O'Dell is producing both. Some members of the crew are shared. Second unit cameraman Ray Freeborn, sound editor Peter Sutton and dubbing mixer Ken Reynolds work on both projects. Sellers himself will make an awkward appearance in the Get Back footage. It's easy to forget that The Magic Christian is a terrific opportunity for Ringo, a co-starring role in a major motion picture with a big-name actor. Sellers' career may have been in decline, but he had good reviews for his performance in Blake Edwards' The Party, which was effectively a Pink Panther reunion of sorts. Now Sellers was hoping to repeat the success of his earlier years by working with Terry Southern whose writing had contributed immensely to the dialogue of Sellers' favourite performances in Doctor Strangelove. In fact, Southern's novel, The Magic Christian, 
was gifted by Sellers to director Stanley Kubrick in 1963 and was the reason that Southern was recruited to work on that movie. Also on board for this production is Joe McGrath, with whom Sellers had worked on Casino Royale. Dennis O'Dell had put together an excellent team for his star and Ringo had been lucky enough to be cast in the part especially written for him. Well, that's not entirely true. Terry Southern had envisioned John Lennon in this role originally. It's little wonder that Ringo sounds frustrated by the production delays when speaking to Dennis O'Dell on the second. This movie is a big deal to him and could lead to the acting career he sees as his next step. It's also the reason he's reluctant to travel outside the UK for a concert with the Beatles. As Mark Lewison points out. Ringo, Ringo and Maureen talked about this probably between Christmas and New Year. He's going to be making, he's got a family man now, he's got two young children at home. Uh, and he likes being around the house and he likes being with Maureen and with the kids. And he likes to work, um, but he's going to be making a film in February, The Magic Christian. So he doesn't want to go abroad in January to do a concert. It's just like, he doesn't want to fit it into his life. It's not suitable for him. So <clears throat> when they begin at Twickenham, he's already made it clear that he won't go abroad, won't go to do this in another country. And the thing about Ringo, and you hear this clearly if you listen to all the tapes for January, is that he doesn't say very much. But when he says something, it carries weight. Let's go back now to 1963 to Doctor Strangelove, to the peak of Seller's career, and the path that leads to the Magic Christian. We'll meet again Don't know where Don't know when But I know we'll meet again Some sunny day we met him at numerous parties and different things, but George Harrison. at that time I think we were all more in awe of him because of our childhood, because of the goons. I mean, you know, we just loved the goons. That was the greatest thing that we'd ever heard, you know, and certainly what I'd ever heard on the radio. And welcome to the great Twickenham Studios, uh, where the boys, the people, are making their new film, Help. And I am actually with the people now. And I uh, present them with their grandma award, which uh, uh, they have won from America. After a while, I remember thinking, well, you know, we've met all these people, we've met all these film stars and presidents and queens and kings, and, you know, we just about met everybody. But um, there was very few people who actually impressed me. You know, it's a, a very interesting life because we he's coming out of this old steam radio period, but he came right through the whole thing, whereas you look at the rest of showbiz, particularly English showbiz, you know, because this happened to the Beatles too, that we came out, we were quite happy to be rubbing shoulders with, you know, Vera Lynn or whatever, you know, Cliff Richard, but we just kept on going for the ultimate experience. And Peter was like that, that's what I liked about him. He wasn't just this person from the radio or from I'm All Right Jack. <laughs> 
females to each male. I shouldn't tell you this, man, Drake, but you're a good officer and you have a right to know. It looks like we're in a shooting war. Oh, hell. All the Russians involved, sir? Well, boys, I reckon this is it. Nuclear combat toe-to-toe with the Ruskies. I don't like the look of this, Fred. All right, tell you what you better do, old buddy. I was under the impression that I was the only one in authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, that's right, sir. You are the only person authorized to do so. And although I uh, hate to judge before all the facts are in, it's beginning to look like uh, General Ripper exceeded his authority. I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. Hmm. Has that plane really got a chance of getting through? <laughs> well, uh, sir, uh, if the pilot's good, see? I mean, I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that baby in so low. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, you. A big plane, like a 52. Vroom! It's jet exhaust, frying chickens in the barnyard. Doctors. Dr. Strangelove uh, was a fascinating experience, again with Stanley Kubrick, um, and trying to find out what made Dr. Strangelove tick over and why he wore a black glove and why one hand was a Nazi and the other hand wasn't. And the way we got to that is a whole interesting story. Ah, those were the days. They don't write hands like that anymore. Peter always hoped to work with Stanley Kubrick again after Lolita. And whenever Stanley explained to him that he wished him to be in Dr. Strangelove, there was no difficulty persuading Peter. Especially when Peter realized that he could play three parts. The RAF officer, the US president, and the president's very sinister Nazi advisor, Dr. Strangelove. Much of the part that Peter eventually played in the three roles in Dr. Strangelove was not scripted. It came out of Peter developing it with Stanley Kubrick on the set like a jazz musician, each of them contributing to the riff. By 1964, Peter Sellers had become one of the most popular as well as critically celebrated actors ever to come out of Britain. Dr. Strangelove would bring him his first Oscar nomination while the Pink Panther would spawn the legendary Inspector Clouseau. With the world at his feet, he now had the power to do anything he wanted. You know, the memory of playing Inspector Clouseau. Clouseau is a special sort of character, you know. There are people like Clouseau around all over the world. Um, He's a sort of man with great inbuilt dignity, you see. Great, great dignity. He's an idiot, but he, he knows that. But he wouldn't let anyone else know that, you see. 
He's very, very keen, so that if, he, if something goes wrong, you see, if he falls over or something, you know, something awful happens, he immediately suspects that someone said, yeah, bleeding idiot, you know. And, but you see, he wouldn't let that disturb me. He'd say, what was that? What is that you said? What, I heard that. What was that? And someone, you know, some schlapper would say, nothing, sir. He said, yes, of course, nothing, yes, yes. Like if there's a phone call and they say, there's a phone call for you, Inspector. He said, ah, that would be for me. Because, you know, I mean... <laughs> Because he, he wants to be one up all the time, you see. An awful lot of people like that about. What are you looking at? Is that by any chance the picture called the Pink Panther? Who's in it? Oh, it's David Niven. And uh, Peter Yusinoff was to play Inspector Clouseau. Robert Wagner. The starring role in the Pink Panther was really David's part. And... Um, Peter Ustinov turned it down, and Blake said he had he had seen and knew about Peter, and I had known about Peter because Peter had done uh, the Mouse at Roar, and so Peter came down to Rome, and that was the beginning of a great love affair between Blake and, and Peter. It was such a great thrill for me because I saw that whole thing come together. You know, Peter had such a circus going on within his head that. Uh, he could do so many different things. How is he in the picture? <laughs> Rolls him in the aisle, eh? We must find that woman. His performance in The Pink Panther was creating so much excitement in Hollywood that even before its release, he and Blake Edwards started work on a sequel, Shot in the Dark in which he co-starred with Elka Summer. Peter had something, he had this incredible sadness about him, which touched me sometimes tremendously. It did not appear to me that Peter had any friends. He'd never stressed the fact that he felt loved. Uh, I think he stressed the fact that he was not loved, or he felt that he was not loved by people. He asked me to marry him, believe it or not, even though no physicality, nothing had passed between us. I think he was just desperate to marry. One morning he came and says, I'm going to meet somebody with the initials B.E. I said, oh, okay. Who says so? He says, Morris Woodruff. I said, all right, uh, where? He says, he didn't know. And um, by God, he married Brick Eklund. A very short time after he finished the picture. Mr. Sellers, this has been a pretty whirlwind romance, hasn't it, to say the least. Can you tell us the story of how you met Mr. Eklund? In brief, um, I was staying at the Dorchester while I was doing a film, and uh, one evening I looked in the paper and saw Brit's picture that she had just arrived in England, and I thought what I saw was very good, <laughs> and I thought that I would like to meet what I saw. And so um, a friend of mine said, how strange, she happens to be staying at this hotel. I said, where? So he said, just down the corridor. So down I go. I said, um, would you like to have a drink? Always to that effect. And um, do you come here often? And things like that. And she said, yes, I'd love to have a drink. So in she came and I took a lot of pictures of her. And um, before I knew it, when she went away, I missed her table. He was very suave, very sophisticated. He wasn't handsome in the classical word, handsome, but he was attractive looking. He was in his uh, thin period. I remember else that 
the house that we were later to live in, he took me out there. I remember him taking me to meet Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden before we got married. The, the Pink Panther was playing, it was a huge success, and Dr. Strangelove was coming out as well. Mm. So he, he was successful, very, very successful. He felt loved, and his friends had never seen him happier. He was about to go to Hollywood to make a film with Billy Wilder, whose sophisticated adult comedy Peter greatly admired. For a brief time, perhaps the only time, everything in his life was in sync, and Peter Sellers was a happy man. It didn't last long. After six weeks of shooting Kiss Me Stupid, the working relationship between Sellers and Wilder deteriorated rapidly. Sellers liked to improvise. Wilder was a disciplinarian who insisted the script be performed as written. Arguments between them became fierce and more frequent. But just before disaster could strike on the set... On the morning of April 6, 1964, Peter Sellers was rushed to Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Diagnosis, heart attack. Peter, were you really dead, please? Well, they, they did, no, that's what the fellow said after. He said I was dead for two minutes, clinically dead. And um, I, I guess I was, you know. I, I don't know, because uh, it was just like going to sleep. So I'd never be frightened of uh, dying. People always think, you know, everyone goes... <laughs> but it was just like going to sleep. I sort of, you know, he was sort of dozed off. And then when it came to life again... It was like waking up because it got this machine plugged into me and put in a massive electric shock. And uh, it was the first time they'd used one of these. There's only two of them in the world. I was very lucky to be in Los Angeles. And um, that's what was said about it at the time. If, you'd, if it had happened anywhere else to you, you would have been dead. Absolutely, yes. It did affect him. David Lodge. I'm not saying he was mental, but it mentally affected him because I noticed this transition in him. The time spent in Los Angeles had left a bitter taste in Peter's mouth. Perhaps unwisely, in an interview with Alexander Walker, he blasted Hollywood. Movie people resented his attitude. He issued an apology, claiming he had been misunderstood, but the damage had been done. Many observers believe his angry outburst cost him the Oscar for Dr. Strangelove. Peter, when you had your heart attack last year, you were very close to death. Now, this must have changed the tempo of your living. Has it changed your way of thinking, your approach to your career? No. Uh, of course, one has to go through a year of convalescence, really, to get back to normal, completely not back to normality, where I'm pleased to say I am now. A year of concentrated exercise and all kinds of mm. things, you know. How did, how did you get the job writing What's New Pussycat? How did it come about as your first film project? Uh, I was appearing at the Blue Angel in New York. Woody uh, Allen. Cabaret, and uh, this producer, Charlie Feldman, came in with Warren Beatty, and uh, they had heard about me, and they thought that I'd be a perfect person to create this comedy for Warren Beatty to do. And, of course, I was glad to do it, and I did. And uh, then, by that time, by the time I finished the script, Warren was already off on another picture, so they cast Peter O'Toole in the lead and, and made the picture. I was, uh, nothing could have shocked me more. That, uh, that they were serious. I didn't believe them for a second. Women have always been a big problem to me. Carol wants to get married, and I'm afraid to commit myself. Well, look what's living in your bed. And once a year, where were you last night? With major studios unwilling to take the risk on an uninsurable star, Charles K. Feldman personally indemnified Sellers for his 1965 return to the screen. No. 
must be was habit of yours of giggling uh, over the character you're playing. Must be easier when you're shooting film. Uh, the one you've just done, for example, what's new Pussycat? Now I've heard that this is a kind of surrealist farce. Now is this? Are you breaking new ground again in comedy here? Well, I honestly don't know what it is. It's um, it certainly will be very new, um, and certain parts of it will be certainly very surrealistic. I should think um, it's. Um, a potpourri of all kinds of things. Is it true that you do a send-up of Sir Lawrence Olivier? In it? It's been a half day's night. 1965's The Music of Lennon McCartney. It's been a half day's night. And I've been working like a dog. That's why I love to come home, cause when I get you alone, you know I feel all right. I went wrong on the dogs and logs. Are you ready? Take two. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a dog. That's why I love to come home. Because when I get you alone. No, stop it. Actually, I've been very quick. Wait a minute. What is it there now? I've got. Oh. Okay, Stuart. Right, stand by. We're ready. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a dog. Long, fog, warm, bucket. <laughs> yeah, I was married to Peter Sellers, who was like the ultimate uh, crazy dieter, like the spaghetti diet. Brit Eklund. Like only grapes diet and dry bread and salt, less salt. Oh, he tended to get overweight, and he was overweight before he met me, and he was very, very, very aware of his weight. I realized today that he was bipolar. We didn't know what that was in the 60s. He took a lot of um, Valium and Librium and sleeping pills. He wasn't a big drinker. Uh, and neither was I. Once when he got mad or he got, you know, a, a really bad attack, he took my Kachi watch that he'd bought me and he stamped on it and then he flushed it on the toilet. Grab your girl. Guard your gold. Hold your jewels. The fox is loose. I will be out of here by three o'clock tomorrow. This I promise you. Ah, the car! Miss Panucci, there has been a change in the plans. The fox is out of the tree. We are taking the gold of Cairo job. In 1966 and 67, Mr. and Mrs. Sellers co-starred in two movies, After the Fox and The Bobo. Sing a song. How did you know I could sing? I didn't know you could sing. Then why did you ask me? Shut up and sing. All right. All right, I will sing you a song. What's it called? I, I don't know what it's called. I improvise. Well, how can you sing a song if you don't know what it's called? Her voice is like a soft guitar. Who? The girl from Barcelona. Ah. Her eyes eclipse the evening star. The girl from Barcelona, sweet and true, though she seems today, chances are she'll run away. But when she's gone, 
a spell lives on No matter where you are The girl from Barcelona He was always anxious about the work he'd done um, whether it was as good as he thought it was going to be and sometimes perhaps didn't always make the best choices of films. Kissing Rell is rubbish film, you know, I mean, it makes no sense at all. Director Joe McGrath. Yes, Pardon, monsieur? Uh, Bond. <clears throat> James Bond. Oh, yes, Mr. Bond. Bond. James Bond. Name is familiar. But at the time, it was the most expensive movie being made. It was my first feature film. Halfway through the shooting, Peter said, that's it, from now on, I don't want to appear in the same setup. I don't want any wide shots of Orson Welles and I. Send me home today. When you finish shooting Orson's stuff, as per the script, I'll come back in. We'll read through Orson's script and we'll see what you shot, we'll run it, and then I'll be, I'll, I can be funnier than he is. Aren't you a little out of your depths, Mr. Bond? In the last 20 minutes, I have ruined two Greeks and a Maharaja. No, Mr. Bond, we aren't playing for marbles. The night is young, and the rose garden is already littered with my victims. I said, look, apart from the dishonesty of doing that, I think. You're cheating the audience. No, I don't care. You gotta get rid of them. I said, you're behaving like a spoiled boy. Woof. He hit me, you know, right? But I managed to duck a bit and it sort of glanced off. So I hit him back. <laughs> <laughs> Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Join the Casino Royale fun movement. Mr. Bond, I'm Lieutenant Mathis of the Special Police. Peter Sellers is James Bond. These are my credentials. They appear to be in order. Ursula Andress is James Bond. David Niven is James Bond. Woody Allen is James Bond. My, my doctor says I can't have bullets enter my body at any time. <laughs> what if I said I was pregnant? Joanna Pettit is James Bond. Rather warm in here, don't you think? Cooler, Charlie. Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Orson Welles is the heaviest heavy of Smirch. Dahlia Lavi is James Bond. I'm the new secret weapon. Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Next. Terence Cooper is James Bond. Barbara Boucher is James Bond. Casino Royale is indestructibly wild. Sellers, erratic from the start, abruptly quit the movie. Funny. Peter Sellers. Yeah. Genius. Blake Edwards. Yeah. Comic. Yep. Genius. Yeah. Dark side. Crazy. Crazy. Certifiable. Certifiable. Mm. I think had he not been Peter Sellers, he very likely could have ended up in an institution. Truly. What would he do to make you think that? Well, 
uh, three o'clock in the morning, phone would ring. I'd wake up. He'd break. This is Peter. I just talked to God. And uh, he told me how to do the scene tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but he wasn't joking. Yeah, he no. had just talked to God. He used and to carry a shrine around with him. To, he talked to his mother all the time, yeah. his deceased mother. And that was just a small part of... Uh, Listen, if it gets you through the night. And the next day, I, one day, when he did that to me, I walked on the set the next day, and I said, well, uh, what did he tell you to do? And he said, well, just, you know, leave the camera where it was, and, and I'll show you. And so we rolled the, the camera, and he showed me, and came over with a big smile on his face and said, what do you think? And I said, do me a favor. Ask God not to call anymore. Yeah, don't get out of show business. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's not your field, God. Yes, right. At least you need to. Which he didn't like and <laughs> left, and we didn't see him for the rest of the day. Is that right? Just yeah. went off to that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. He, he really you. was quite mad. Some of the best times I've had in my life were with Peter, and the worst, absolutely the worst. Peter Sellers is Harundi Vibakshi. Why would anyone invite him to the party? Party where everyone comes and anything you know trying to hone in on who am I who am I what is it what is it all about uh, Peter actually became a hippie um, around the late 60s and early 70s and uh, uh, although I'd met him a number of times before I got to re-know him through Ravi Shankar because he he liked Ravi a lot and became close friends with Ravi Shankar and and at that time, you know, I was with Ravi all the time, learning sitar, and um, we hung out together, the three of us, which was quite an unusual combination. You know, he knew that there was something else in, in life. The sad thing about Peter was I don't think he fully discovered the self. He was on the, the road to that, you know, he was doing a lot of yoga and meditating and was chanting Hare Krishna. Hi there, swinging homemakers. This is your kitchen guru. Loop on your love beads and we'll pass on a few hints from the grooviest cookbook ever. And you'll be surprised how much these Alice B. Toklas brownies can add a psychedelic aspect to any occasion. Looks like a nice brownie, Harry. Oh, these are really good. One more. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> From 
1965 to 1970, Sellers appeared in eight big-budget movies for which he was paid well over a million dollars each. But although his bank balance was going up, the quality of his movies was going down. Later in his career, Peter made far too many films that didn't do him any good. Uh, one of the reasons was that the money was being offered to him, uh, he couldn't refuse it. The decline of Peter Sellers lasted for six years. He made an unbroken string of flops. Critics became indifferent to his work, so did the audience. His fees plummeted. He became unhappy with himself and unhappy with his work. His marriage to Brit dissolved. Ringo won't be released for The Magic Christian until the 1st of February, but I doubt he realises how important he is to the project. Seller's career was heading for the rocks. A lot was at stake, even for him. Working with a Beatle could only help at the box office. Presenting the most irreverent, irrelevant father and son team since the Frankensteins. Dad? Hmm? Do you think words corrupt? I don't know. Uh, let's try. Agnes? Yes? Nipple. Damn keen guy, isn't he? Bloody keen. Damn fine chap. He's bloody keen, too. Aye, quick kill. That's the name of the game. For God's sake, guys. What? of authority that Ringo Starr is the magic Christian. Can't we settle our differences amicably? No, son, no. Some bird told me that Peter Sellers is the magic Christian. You needn't eat the plastic. I just wanted to see if you had your price. Most of us do. Oxford, can you hear me? I mean, you've actually come I here to offer us money to interfere with the race. Yes, that's right. You should realize, sir, that Oxford men cannot be bought. I say, Dad, shouldn't we tell them the real identity of the magic Christian? Heaven only knows, son. Heaven only knows. Almost inevitably, the magic Christian wasn't the return to form that everyone hoped. It wouldn't launch Ringo into movie stardom. He doesn't really have enough to do. And it would be another five years before Sellers would make a hit movie. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you think on our Facebook page and our Instagram, all titled Winter of Discontent Pod. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps other people find us. You can also email on winterofdiscontentpod at gmail.com. Thanks again and goodbye for now. <laughs>